This week's podcast is brought to you by Zenith Wealth. Go to zenithwealth.com.au. Well, hello again, listeners. We're back for episode two. Welcome to Get the Know How. And of course, you're here uh, with me, Grant Howe, and my co host, Giovanna Simpson. G, how are you today? I am great. And I'll tell you what, I'm very excited to be back in the hot seat. Looking forward to another session. Oh, absolutely, G. And I'm actually looking forward to, to bringing our guests today into the program and we're not going to uh, we're not going to waste any time today we're going to bring uh, we're going to bring this man straight in this man um, is his name is Guy Leach now let me tell you a little bit about Guy Guy is the CEO and founder of Heart 180 and um, prior to this uh, of course he made his name in Australia as an, an athlete Guy was an Ironman a twice winner of the Coolangatta Gold He's won seven uh, Uncle Toby's uh, events and, of course, uh, a former World Ironman champion and a World Ocean Paddling champion and once dubbed the fittest man in Australia. Uh, Welcome, Guy. Hello. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Good. Good, thank you. Good. You can hear us okay? Got you loud and clear. Loud and clear. Loud and clear. What did you think of that intro music? Did it get the heart pumping? Where'd you get that from? <laughs> I stole <laughs> I stole that from YouTube. Now you wouldn't believe this, mate, but uh, I probably told you before. I uh, I don't mind uh, watching the wrestling. I'm a closet wrestling fan, and mm-hmm. that's actually the theme music of my favourite wrestler. It's actually quite good. Really pumping, doesn't it? Yeah, Big Popper Pop Scott Steiner. Um, he was also known as the. Uh, as, oh, well, I've put the applause button on there. We'll take that off. He's also known as the uh, – that's that very late applause for you. He's also known – I meant to, to, to show, tell you this. He's also known as the uh, – The big, bad booty daddy. He's the big, bad booty daddy. <laughs> classic. Classic. Classic, mate. So how are you, mate? I'm good. I just learned something about you. I didn't know. <laughs> that's right. I actually said the same thing last week. I was like, I did yeah. not know that about Grant. So I'm actually uh, very excited about that. Yeah. A little bit concerned as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I like the old school wrestling too. I don't watch uh, any of the modern yeah. stuff. So Andre the Giant. Yeah. Mario Milano. Ma- yeah. yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, Killer Kowalski. I met, him I met him years ago, Mario Milano in Melbourne. Did you really? Yeah. Who are these yeah, people? A bit, of a, <laughs> bit of a strange... Uh, Thing to talk about, yeah, it I'm is, but the, um, some, some, some gig, yeah. Well, I actually, uh, I don't know if you remember a wrestler <laughs> called uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah actually, I, I actually met and had my photo taken with Brutus the Barber. I and feel I've like got I'm autograph. left out of this whole conversation. Yeah. I just don't yeah. know who these people are. I remember the uh, who's this Hulk Hogan? Was he like a wrestler? Yeah, he, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He okay, was like I got, I got one in. That's awesome. Superstar. Yeah, he's probably he was the first global superstar. There we go. Uh, there we go. The, I'm most, I'm the yeah. most famous wrestler in the world, um, still to this day. He was at the time. Yeah, he was, he's probably he, uh, the Rock. 
the rock came together. Oh, absolutely. And has the rock come good? You know, he's, he's a guy that was living basically uh, on a floor on a mattress and dirt broke that uh, mm. has now become the highest paid actor in the world. There you Incredible. go. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible, That's incredible a good story. That is the story. There you of... go. We've um, we're, the whole episode's going to be about wrestling. I <laughs> think it is, but I want to hear a little bit more about Guy because you've done some incredible things. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, gee, today I actually a little bit of research on Guy, and did you know today it's ten years to the day mm. where Guy was sitting around his last tribal council meeting? Is that what it was called? Oh. Course yeah. on Survivor Vanuatu, yes. Australia, which you ended up taking out. I did. I made a good case to the uh, to the, the judges to, to give me the nod. I got up uh, by one one vote. Wow. One vote. Wow. What an incredible <laughs> show that was. And who was the person? Awesome. Who was the person you beat? Yeah. So the guy was um, it was a, it was the only celebrity version they've ever done in Australia. Um, and the guy that I that came down to the wire with was an actor by the name of Justin Melvey. And Justin not went, hard on the eye, Justin. Very pleasing to the eye. Good looking, good looking dude. Yeah. <laughs> he got he got um, he got famous for going overseas, and unlike you know the stars of Australian movies that have made it, he got into daytime television, and he. Um, he, he was on General Hospital or one of those. He ones. Was, was, yes. Massive, massive across, particularly the um, that, that inner, you know, inner American state. But uh, and he he was just loved, and so yeah, he came back from that. I mean, done his stint on that, came back, and I think the reason why he was so hard to beat in the um, in Survivor was that people don't know, but he was actually an Olympic athlete. He represented Australia in winter sport um, in the moguls. Oh, is that right? So, that? He, so he's equally he was equally good, good in front of the camera, as well as punishing himself from a sporting point of view. So he was very tough mentally, yeah. and a very handsome man. <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah. Thank you, mate. You talking about me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, not, not, <laughs> not, 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 he's, he's all right. Not, he's all right. not he's unlike okay. yourself. He's all right. Not unlike yourself, guy. Not he's all right. Yourself, he goes. He, he goes all right. Yeah. yeah right. But good. I want to hear some more about you, Grant. What else have you got there? Well, I know that Guy's the father to two beautiful daughters, Phoenix and Paloma, and, and uh, he's the husband to Helen. Um, but Guy, um, let's talk, because we really want to touch on Heart 180 today, but I just want to, if we can, just touch yeah. a little bit on your career, because you tell a good, yeah, sure. you tell a good story. Um, now, uh, many years ago, there was a movie, mate, <coughs> called The Cool and Gatter Gold, and Cool, yeah. cool and Gatter Gold um, was a fictitious race uh or for the movie it was but they actually they actually ran a real race alongside that and you were the inaugural winner now yeah yeah. mm, well i'll give you i'll give you the um i'll give you the cooling out of gold field so it was a um it was meant to be the next big blockbuster after mad max in the 80s yep um it was a, a, a plot written about two brothers with a a father that favoured the older brother, and the older brother um, was meant to become the greatest Ironman in the, in the country, in the world, and the father favoured him, and the, the younger brother wanted to be an Ironman as well, and but he got he got the raw deal all the time, and Grant Kenny, who was famous at the time for making Ironman famous back in the early 80s, he played himself in the movie. He did. And, 
basically the movie makers had to come up with a rate that was the fitting of this blockbuster movie. And so they actually ironically went to Grant Kenny's father to go and work out what would be a real-life Iron Man race that was like nothing else out there. And at the time, an Iron Man race was that surf carnival where you ran, swam and paddled around a set of boys off the beach and it took between 15 and 20 minutes to do, depending on how big the surf was. But this race wasn't on one beach. It was on the, the coastline of the Gold Coast and it was from Surface Paradise to Coolangatta, which is 23 kilometres, and back the other way, so 46 kilometres all up. So they came up with this ridiculous torture event that was put on in 1984 in the middle of summer, in January, heat on the coast. And we've all, if you've been up to Queensland, yeah, that time of year. Yeah, that time of year. Really humid. So you, you, from a dehydration point of view, it's sort of right up there. And, um, you know, we, we, we were, you know, I, I was in the surf club at Manly and this poster turned up on the wall and it, it explained this, this event and it said there was $20,000 worth of gold on first place and I just left school and I thought, I'm going to have a crack at this thing. So there was about five, about six of us from Manly Surf Club in Sydney on the Northern Beaches that entered the event and um, I turned up there you know, not a favourite. I only just started doing Ironman. I came off the back of a uh, swimming career in the pool where I represented Australia in the pool. Um, <clears throat> fell in love with the whole Ironman concept and started training for it. I'd only been training sort of nine months at the Ironman sport, although I was, um, prior to that, I was ranked number one of the world for marathon swimming and uh, turned up to the Gold Coast. And in one day, or in four and a half hours, I went from being unknown to being, by the time I wake up the next morning with a hangover, <laughs> four and a half hours, in, having done this race and winning it, I turned up the next day to being a household name in the country, being the lead story on every radio, television or uh, front page of every paper. Yeah, and I remember... So it was a really weird time. It was a, it was a huge thing because, I mean, 984, I was uh, leaving grade 10 that year. So it was, a, it was a big year and your name was, you know, everywhere. So Did you have a poster guy in your bedroom? I, I actually possibly did. Um, were you a uh-huh. centrefold at any point? No. <laughs> probably, probably, yeah. Yeah, you were just a I got, I actually got, I got asked. I actually got asked to do the uh, Cleo centrefold or whatever it was. Yes. Not the back, so I just thought, uh, yeah. So they weren't paying enough, but, yeah. <laughs> in that race... Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, mm. you'd only been paddling ski, I think, for six months prior? Yeah, probably a year or so. Yeah. Um, look, there was there was a few reasons why I won the race. I, I was naturally really good at endurance. What I didn't know was that my body could handle heat really well, and it did my whole career from then on. Like, I, I would win races when it was 35 degrees and people were, you know, dehydrating and, and I could just, my body for some reason could handle it. Um, I, I didn't realise but I was a natural runner. Running was a big part of that race. You had to, the first leg was 10 kilometres of running and then after doing a five kilometre swim, you had to go back and run another 4K. It's insane. And I was a really, I was a really good distance runner and um, that showcased itself that day. Um, and, and the other thing was that no one knew how to train for this race. So everyone was sort of even from that point of view. And even though there were competitors that had a long history of doing Ironman prior to me, 
um, no one's trained for a race like that before. So you know, it was it, it was that was strange time, and you know, I, I hit the lead at the hour and a half mark of a, of a race that I stayed out in front for another three hours. So I learned a lot that day. I learned that um, <clears throat> that I could handle pressure. I learned that um, that when 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 I when I needed to, I could dig deep and and focus and stay stay in the moment and concentrate. I learned that the the the, the day itself, which was never seen again in, in an Ironman race, because of the, they promoted the movie that heavily, there were about two hundred thousand people on the coastline watching the event. It was just, you just insane. Can't fathom, you cannot fathom that sort of. Uh, <clears throat> you crowd, can't even understand. Now. No, well, the MCG holds 100,000 people yeah. the AFL Grand Very Final. Yep. Talk double that. And back in a time where, you know, they, people weren't cordoned off from you when you got out of the water and around. They were right near you. So you were rubbing shoulders with people as you were trying to run down the coastline and do all your stuff. And look, it was I counted 13 helicopters in the air filming this race for the movie and also for the, the media for, because it was such a big thing. So... You know, I walked away from the beach going, can you believe it, I won this thing? I walked away with 20 grand's worth of gold. Um, I became an overnight famous person, which was really weird because when you consider and you think about famous people that you know of, normally there's like a, a stepping stone over time where people become more famous, yeah? Absolutely. But for yeah. me, one event and one race, made that happen for me. So I, it was really odd for me as a 19-year-old to up back in Manly a few days after this race, and you'd walk down the street and everyone would stare at you. You'd go into a restaurant and people come up to you and want autographs. Um, you've spent your life with no money and people are throwing money at you with sponsorship and you people were inclined to not want you to pay for things. So it was a really weird situation and transition from from a normal life to being really not normal again ever in my, my life no. moving forward. So, yeah, it was, it was, I handled it all right, but, um, but to say it was strange is, is an understatement. Yeah. It would have been strange, but I've been out with you in Manly a couple of occasions and I've noticed people still stare at you. Uh, they're not staring at me, that's for sure. But look, it, back then it was, it was berserk. Like, I, oh. Give me a, give me an example. Like I bought a I bought an apartment on the beachfront off the back of that race. So I took the twenty grand gold, put it down as, as a deposit in nineteen eighty four, and bought myself a two bedroom apartment on the beach at Narrabeen, and um, which is pretty cool when you just left school and everything. Absolutely. Um, and mate, there was a bus stop that would pull up there for school for for the local um, school. And all the kids worked out because I was given a car and it had sponsorship on the side of it, like Kellogg's Nutri-Grain and all that sort of stuff. It was parked out the front of my apartment block. And um, <clears throat> so the kids would get off the bus, a stop earlier, and wait there until I got home to want to get photos and autographs and just, you know, hang out. So that was like every day. Isn't it? it was really weird. It was like you just, <clears throat> you look at it now and think, well, that's not normal behavior, but. You know, there were times when, you know, you'd have to call the police because, you know, kids would hang out in the front of your place and stay there into the night. And, um, you know, yeah, it was just odd. It was a strange time. It really yeah, was. Yeah, no, that'd be very hard to take. 
I think, Joe, you've had that issue a few times. Have <laughs> yeah, actually. I don't know if I've. Or have you been the one? Have house. you been the one standing outside look, the house? I'm going to be honest, guy. It was probably me standing outside your yeah. house. But um, look, you, it's it's been an incredible career that you've had so far, and of course, as you said, um, quite surreal as, as you know, a young boy at that age to to just be normal one day, and then of course the next day completely different. But guy, you also had a stint on Baywatch as well, didn't you? Now that was a pretty mm. big deal. I mean, who didn't watch that? I mean. Even I checked out Pamela Anderson. I mean, that girl was absolutely gorgeous. So what was it like to get to that sort of point where you're actually, you know, you're on Baywatch? Mm. Yeah, look, it, um, it, it, there were just opportunities would pop up all the time. It was For me, it was always about I never got caught up in the fame enough that I said yes to things that would stop me training, stop me winning. And, um, you, you know, the, <clears throat> take the fame and, put that aside, the reason why I competed in Ironman races was because I loved the sport to death. And the reason why I loved sport was because I could put it all on the line in an event and see whether I was good enough to win. And at an early age, from the age of nine, when I won my first national title as a swimmer, the feeling of winning, having trained and prepared um, under a coach and under effort, and then committing to a nervous experience where you had to race and put it on the line and you could fail and you win, for me, was just intoxicating. I needed more and more of it. So my life ran off the back of wanting to do everything I could to get myself prepared for an event and then put it on the line and win. And the feeling kept me going through my whole career where I wanted more and more of it. So because of that, I did take opportunities like Baywatch I did. I did a lot of different things that you know the nor- the average person, the normal person, wouldn't get to do, and I embraced it. But I never did it um, without seriously considering what the time doing that was going to take away from my training, and whether that meant I wouldn't win the next race. So, but you know, to go back to Baywatch, it was you know surreal. You you turned up to this beach that you know fenced off basically, got security guards there. You've got Pamela Anderson in a, in a trailer and you've got all the other stars and David Hasselhoff. And at the time, it was the biggest watch show in the world. Absolutely, it was. And, um, it was huge. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like what, you know, whatever whatever's the biggest event, like show now was when Seinfeld or whatever at the time was the biggest. Well, Baywatch was the biggest at that time. And, um, yeah, look, it's, yeah, it, 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 yeah, quite, quite unbelievable. It, you know, ironically... You know, David Hasselhoff and that blonde, muscly guy that was, I can't remember his name, yes, the actor the blonde, that was... Yes, in, I know the one you know. Remember him? Yes. Yeah. Good-looking dude that was sort of... <laughs> they were all good-looking, let's talking. be honest. Yeah, they were all good-looking on the show. But, but they were like a little bit intimidated by what myself and a few of the boys that were on the show could do because we, you know, we were the you best at what we did. With you. you could actually do <laughs> yeah. the things that they're acting, but you could actually you know, do those Correct. things. And, and that's incredible, and it's an absolute credit to you as well. But uh, was he? Yeah, m- good fun, good fun. Mitch, good Mitch Buchanan. Uh, he, Mitch Buchanan. Mitch yeah. Buchanan. Mitch Buchanan still won the race. And if wow, I remember rightly, he, he pipped Trevor Hendy <laughs> on the line. Is that right? He did, mate, he did. And um, it was odd because, like, uh, you know, there's always backstories to what you do. And so that was right when Pammy was, had split up with um, Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee the yes. drummer, the drummer yes. from um, you know, whatever the band was. And um, he, um, he lost the plot. And 
So when we were all rocked it down and, and word went out that the Aussie Ironman are in, you know, on the show and, you know, doing the thing, he's, um, the security guy shut down the shoot one day because he was up in the car park and apparently had a gun in his car. Oh, this is fantastic. And, uh, this is like the best and he was, ever. Yeah, yeah, and he was, he was, he'd been drinking and all the rest of it and was in the car park mouthing off. So it was, yeah, that, it was that, that wow. day. That day was shut down. <laughs> this it was is better than, I, I love watching Neighbours, but I tell you what, this is, mm. this takes the cake. This is a uh, really I've got some good stuff. stories over the years. Uh, You've got the really you good stories, You can tell us you? all the good stories you want, Lucci. It's, uh, it's, it's over to you. I know that, <laughs> that when um, you did actually go over there and compete, now there was 20 of you from Australia that went across to do mm. that. It was a, and it was an actual round of Uncle Toby's that was held in L.A., yeah. Uh, that coincide with this. So the Uncle the Uncle Toby's uh, Iron Man series that you were part of was actually a, a rebel group, if you like, like the South African cricket uh, tour that Australia yeah, it was, did. Yeah, it, it was a was a breakaway. Yeah, a, a breakaway. And Great, so yeah. you know, you had yourself, Trevor Hendy. Uh, I think uh, uh, Greg Kenny, Greg Kenny and on one side, and Craig Riddington, Craig Riddington, Guy Andrews. Guy, Andrew, yeah. Guy Andrews is another one. And on the other side, yeah. you had uh, the Mercers for, for Nutrigrain. Yeah, the Mercer brothers, yeah. And, and you were threatened with life ban and everything from Surf Life Saving because it was um, a, a breakaway. Is that right? Is that is that what happened? Yeah, look, they were, they were, they were, the 80s were different times that they are now. We, we, um, we competed in Surf Life Saving events and... You know, over the years, they said, "Look, you, you know, you guys can have a say in in, in the events and how they they run and the different styles and formats and all the rest of it." But you know, it all fell on deaf ears at the time, and there were there were people running surf lifesaving at the time that ran like an army an army setup where you just you know you, you really didn't get much respect or didn't get listened to. So you know, we 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 decided to do our own thing and we jumped and yeah, we got um kicked out of surf life-saving for a short period of time. Um, we, Uncle Toby came on board and put the sport on live television on Channel 10, and this was back before cable TV was Absolutely. around and before the internet and before you could get results immediately on your on your devices and you know, different times. And you know, we'd pull half to a million viewers on a Sunday afternoon you know, when we raced live around the country and, and overseas, and it was a massive sport where, you know, I started telling stories earlier about what my life was from a, a fame point of view. Well, that got that got quadrupled yeah. when the Uncle Toby's Iron Man, you know, series happened, and um, life was never the same again. So, look, they were they were exciting times, they were turbulent times. Um, you know, they were some of the best times of my life. Um, you know, the Mercer brothers that were in another series, and there was all this animosity between the two camps um, has all been sorted now when we're all good mates and all the rest of it. But you've got to remember at the time, you know, the Ironman sport was just there as a a vehicle for a, a massive cereal company being Kellogg's. Yes. And one of their products being Kellogg's Nutrigrain, being Nutrigrain, and the the upstart, you know, Uncle you know poor cousin, which it was a small, you know, startup type business being Uncle Toby, basically trying to get more space on the shelf at Coles and Woolworths to sell more product yep. and using Iron Man as a vehicle to do it. Well, so did. at the end of the day, even even being a kid that 
you know, like I was you know, in my you know, like early 20s and mid-20s when all this stuff was going down, it was very evident to me that, you know, that this was a, an unnatural situation because it's not a sport where people go through a tent, turnstile and pay money to watch you. It's not a sport where a network hands over a check for $500 million to put you on television. It's all, it's all based around a, 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 multi, a, a company, an Australian company, or a couple that are forcing up the price of what the sport's really worth because they're battling it out to get more shelf space in Coles and Woolworths. The Serial That's Wars, what it, was. it was called, wasn't it? The Serial Wars. Yeah, and, and it was all about the dollar, wasn't it? So it was. for them to throw three or four million dollars into our sport and to gain 22, 25% more shelf space in Coles and Woolworths, well, mate, the win for them would be $100 million. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In, in turnover. So, like, we were just, we were there as just a, you know, as just a dressing on a, on a massive, massive opportunity for Uncle Toby to go and dwindle away some of the market share of Kellogg. Well, I, uh, I think that, you know, um, you know, with the serial wars and everything else, one thing it did do was it certainly, uh, I think, really brought the sport of Iron Man to the forefront. And I believe, personally, that's when Iron Man was at its peak in Australia. Correct. I think Correct. it's nothing like that now. But, uh, you know, Grant Kenny, very famous, uh, when he won the under 18 and then backed it up and won the Open Iron Man at the same national titles, and he was, you know, still a kid. Uh, he was in the the back end of the field in that series and you know you guys really brought the sport to the forefront and of course everyone knows who Trevor Hendy is and and he was mm. just a machine as well so yeah. um, I don't think the sport's ever been as good since no look um, you know the, you know the thing is mate is that I, I've always you know I've, I've always done things to the best of my ability and um, and had some amazing results over the years and you know, and I put it down to you know, sure I was in the right place at the right time, but I, I always did the thing I loved the most and put 100% into it and bled, you know, when I did it because I loved it so much. And, you know, I left school and Ironman was the thing I wanted to do. There was no calling out a goal. There was no professional sport there, but I just, it just, it just, it, it just captured my imagination and I wanted to do it. So I wanted to do it really well. So I, you know, I out-trained other guys. I out our process and platform, my, my training routine better than the other guys. And because I loved it so much, I, I won a lot, you know, and then I got into health and fitness once I retired from Ironman because I loved being healthy and fit and then wanting to help other people. And, you know, and I was very, very good at that and turned it into a business that, you know, is, is you know, I, I feel very impressive. And, you know, you, you, you talked about early on about what I do now, which is called Heart 180, and it's a defibrillator business that educates and motivates people to to know about defibrillators, to get one, and to not only protect themselves but save other people's lives. Well, I do that because it's the thing I want to do the most because my mate had a cardiac arrest during one of my fitness classes That's right. nearly five years ago that I was taking. That's right. So, and that, was you your, know, that was your mate Chucky. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, I've, I've, I, you know I, it's always easy when you can look back on your life and, you know, there's certain moments in time that you have that everyone has that, um, that, are, that are conduits to a change of journey and a path that you're on, you know. And for Absolutely. me, the calling out a goal was, 
a significant moment in my life, but it also launched the sport. And, you know, the next one for me was, you know, when my mate was, you know, but below me and I was doing resuscitation on him trying to bring him back to life and I couldn't do it because I didn't have a defibrillator and I didn't know I needed one. I, I was uneducated to that fact. And, you know, in the last four years, <clears throat> this business Heart 180 has become, you know, the single biggest provider of defibrillators to the community. Yeah, it's Australia. absolutely massive, isn't it? It's just, as you said, it's really taken off. And, uh, the, you know, what you're doing around the country and educating people, I mean, you can't you can't buy that sort of thing. You can't. Saving lives, you know. Well, Leachy educated me on it because I remember talking, you know, we met three or four years ago, Guy, um, mm. somewhere up in uh, Manly at, uh, oh, gosh, that was an office anyway, and, yeah. And, and uh, with Pete, Pete, Pete Hickey and um, yeah. Mouse Business Systems Office. And, yeah. uh, you know, we connected then and we've, we've stayed in contact since. And um, you, you educated me because, and you're right, like you, you say that, you know, you, you didn't know you needed a defibrillator. Um, yeah. I always thought that cardiac arrest was a heart attack, but it's not. Yeah, and, it, and no, it's, look, and the, and the irony is that you've got myself that predominantly I was a lifesaver down the third club that, did his voluntary patrols on the weekend that can save people's lives in the ocean, in the surf. You've made and rescues. You've done rescues. I've, done, I've brought people back to life and, yeah. and saved people's lives in the, in the water. And, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when you did that, and I was doing that at Manly Surf Club down the beach there, mate, the fibrillators weren't around. There was no such thing. And you've got to remember that I retired in 95, which is a long time ago now, and did other things. And I wasn't down doing patrols anymore because I'd done you know, 15 years of that. And um, Steve only came in recently. So when my mate stopped breathing and was unconscious and it was an electrical issue with his heart, um, it was unbeknownst to me that pumping his chest doing, doing CPR wasn't going to bring him back. No. He had to, he had to get a shot from the defib. So I learned all this after the fact. I learned that nearly 100 Australians every day die from an electrical issue with their heart. A heart attack is not a cardiac arrest. Nope. A heart attack is a, pl- a plumbing issue with a heart. That's right. Whereas a sudden cardiac arrest is an electrical issue with a heart. You can have both and it can combine between starting as a plumbing issue and then become an electrical. Um, but notwithstanding, you know, a defibrillator, the pads on a patient um, in the first 180 seconds of someone dropping, which means a defib needs to be closed if someone does drop, and you do good CPR and the defibrillators today tell you what to do, talk you through it and make life very easy. But if you do that well, the patient's got up to 90% chance of surviving. But if you're in triple O, don't have a defibrillator and they're unconscious, not breathing, and it's an electrical issue, which it, which it could be, more commonly could be, then the patient's got around 6% chance of living. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's really chalk and cheese and... So I came away from having my hands on one of my best mates and, you know, that could have really, really messed me around for the rest of my life. And certainly I went away from that mentally scarred. I went away from that not feeling the same, <clears throat> feeling empty. But I, you know, I suppose I took the, the bull by, by its horns and went, you know what, I've got a profile. <clears throat> you know, this has happened. My mate would not want me to sit around and not do anything about this. So I'm going to just 
dive in deep and start telling the story and getting these things out there and making a difference. And, um, you know, like I did in Ironman, which at the time was the thing I wanted to do the most and I wanted to be the best in the world at it. And there were times in my career where I was the best in the world at it. Absolutely. Um, it's the same with this. So I get out of bed every day and I'm driven by the fact that, mate, there's people, there's, there's nearly 100 people today and there'll be enough, nearly 100 people tomorrow and one of them will be a kid under the age of 10 and there'll be right. four or five kids that are teenagers that are fit. They're all going to die. Yep. Right, because there's not a defibrillator close by. So I, doesn't, you know, doesn't discriminate. It, yeah. So it you, just drives me. It drives me to do. So I suppose my, my point is that, you know, people create great things in life when, mate, they're very passionate about what they're doing, Absolutely. and they don't want to do anything else other than what they're doing at that time. Um, and I've been really lucky that you know that that I've I've always thought that out, and I've tried to. I suppose I've gone on my journey and my journey's been sort of my thing and I, I haven't sort of gone, oh, I'll go and do what everyone else is doing. And um, because of it, it's been, you know, it's been fun and it's been enjoyable and, you know, and I, I love what I do now and I, I can tell you that I'll keep doing this till the day I die because I feel like it's really important and my mate Chucky, you know, his life shouldn't go by without, you know, a massive change occurring in this country and at the moment Heart 180, one of our defibs, that gets put out into the community. Um, every seven to eight weeks, we find out that an, an Aussie's been saved by one of our DFIBs because someone's, someone's dropped and someone's got that DFIB and put them on the patient and brought them back to life. Well, of course, we, and we find out who the person yeah. is and how old they are and their backstory, and it's, it, it's a great feeling. We had yeah. a very high profile, a very high profile uh, uh, person suffer cardiac arrest and was brought back by one of your defibs and that was the original yellow wiggle uh back yeah, at, great back, page, great page right. back yeah. at back at the um when the bushfire fundraiser was on now um you know he would not be here today if there was not one a defib That's close right. by and two mm. uh someone with the smarts to realize what they needed to do so you know, I, I know your goal. It's a you know a, a million defibs to be distributed within the community. Um, we need we need to get one within every Aussie, like within one hundred and eight seconds of every Aussie. So we started doing neighbourhood campaigns where yes. you know houses in the street all pitch in fifty, sixty, eighty dollars, and they get one and position it in the middle house where everyone knows where it is. So we started that campaign. We've we've done things like help to roll out with Woolworth stores in the country. I've got DFibs into every Harvey Norman store in Australia where they sell to the general public and use my name and profile to do that. We've seen the so, big you know, cut out in there. We have, yes. I'll take a photo <laughs> of it actually next time I'm in. But uh, that's fantastic. Like it's actually, you know, it's really getting it out there. It's getting Australia-wide. And, and, you know, that's a if as you said, if we can save a life a day or a couple of lives a day, how huge is that? We've got to like build hearts, not communities. Yeah, build hearts, not communities. So, so yeah. in Detroit where the DFib was created, if I'm right. Um, Seattle. Guy, Seattle. You've got a, Seattle, sorry. Seattle. You've got a 60% chance of survival because DFibs are everywhere. It's gone up now. So, yeah, that was um, – so this year now it's up to 65%. So you drop out of a hospital on the streets of Seattle and because they've got so many DFibs out there. So there's, there's things that we need to do here that currently Seattle do that we don't. And as an example, so when you're in Seattle and you've got to go for your driver's, driver's license um, for a car, 
you have to have done your CPR course and DFID course. That's unreal. And learn how to use it before you can get your car license. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we need to catch so, up here in Australia. Don't doesn't that make sense? Like that? Doesn't that make sense? Oh, it makes a hell of a lot of sense, you know. When, you know, uh, so I'll, 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 I'll give you this one. So of, of the 100 people that dropped today and didn't survive, um, about 80% of them um, dropped in front of someone that knew them, whether it be a family member, a friend, or a work colleague. Unbelievable. So it's not just the person that dies, because it's like if you, you, if you just fall unconscious and don't come back, you know, you're not. It's the pain of the other person have to go through. And, and if you know, like if it's your, your child or your, your your husband or wife or your mate at work or your, your mate, one of your teammates on the soccer field, it's it's that the leftover factor that is just horrific. And yeah. so, you know, it, there's more to it than just a life loss. It just it ruins so many other people and. I learned that when one of our early stages was a 21-year-old girl up in Noosa in the gym where she suffered a sudden cardiac arrest. On the rowing machine. machine. Yeah, and it's like in this gym, if you looked around, it was all captured on a monitor and it's pretty heavy where you see it shaking on the ground and, and then stop moving. But like out of all the people in the gym, gym you'd be like, well, she's the last one that's going to happen to Good-looking, fit, and 21 years of age, right? Now... They had one of our DCs in there, in the gym. And mate, the personal trainer got it out, got it on her, and got it back before the ambos turned up on the second oh, shot, which was about the four-minute mark. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right? So, but the, the thing, the point of, of all that is that mate, I, I flew to Nootsk and put on a, a night where I went through all this and 200 people from the town turned up. And I interviewed her, who survived, and Aaron, the guy that saved her life, right? And... I found out afterwards, chatting to him, that he couldn't sleep at night, was having nightmares because his dreams were that she didn't make it and he lost her and she died. Mm. Right? So, you know, you start thinking, well, he's a hero and everyone's patting him on the back and, mate, he's awesome. And he brought her back to life and she gets a second chance. But, mate, he can't sleep at night. No. Because he's having nightmares about her not making it. So, yeah, it's like, it's a bigger problem than just the person that's on the deck, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I do remember one line that you told me, that a defib has as much right in a house as a smoke alarm. And, Correct, and, yeah. And oh, I, yeah, that's, that's a really good line, actually. A, absolutely, absolutely true. Now, gee, um, it was last week, the week before, down here in, uh, in Tasmania, in Burnie, that uh, the Incredible Hulk actually brought somebody back with the defib there was a lady or a man that had a cardiac arrest yes. in, outside our library. Uh, really? Yeah, and it was book week. And, it was book week, yeah. And the yeah. Uh, librarian who was dressed that day in uh, green paint. <laughs> brought, as the Hulk. As the course. Hulk. Got yes. the dirt, brought the person back on the street. Yeah. So, the uh, so the incredible, Ed, incredible Hulk is, is really a, 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 a real superhero. <laughs> I'm going to find that uh, in the local rag and I'm going to send it, I'm going to send it up to you because, um, yeah, yeah it's, good a one. Great, it's a great story. I, I think that's good. Yeah. Leachie, you're a bloody gentleman. Um, Thank you, mate. Now, now the, the borders of uh, starting to open up too. I'll be up to see you mm. soon. I'll be up to see you. Yep. Um, Come on up. We'll go and get a decent steak somewhere, won't we? Exactly. Yeah, always. Always. Always, mate. But uh, 
Indeed. Before we uh, before we leave you, um, just I just as one line that you mm. said earlier on about you know living one hundred percent commitment um, or thereabouts. Yeah. Can you just repeat yeah. that for yeah. our listeners? Well, yeah, look for, for me, I, I, it, it was interesting. I just 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 to go back back a stage, but you know when I when I retired, my man. I, I get asked to get up on stage and tell my story, and you know you, you're still young and 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 just go through how, what what's the process of winning and how you do it and how you become a world champion and those sort of things. And at the time, I couldn't articulate it because I, I'd never really thought about it that much. I just did. I was in the process. I had good coaches, and obviously the. the the processes and the preparation that I did gave me the best chance of winning. And I was very, very good at that. Absolutely. But, you know, when I go back a step and, and what I was saying before was that man, I loved what I did more than anything. I, I gravitated to the thing I loved the most and I gave 100%, 100% of the time passion. to what I did. You had passion. And I just, I just lived it and loved it. And I jumped out of bed, you know, every day going – I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to get better at it, and and I just I had this this want to keep improving, and it's still in me now, you know. And I look at what I'm trying to do now, and it and it, it's about just you know living in the moment and giving it a hundred percent all the time. And when you do that, you know you achieve great things. And I've seen when I I first recognised this when I was in the swimming pool in one of the North Shore suburbs of Sydney. And this pool had six lanes. And if you, you got invited into the senior squad, then you had a chance of going to the Olympic Games or the Commonwealth Games. And it was very simple. At the age of 12, I got, I made, I got invited to be in the pool and I was in lane one. And if you could get to lane six, which the coaches, the coach at the time, who was the Olympic head swimming coach, he would go, all right, you're in lane two, now you're in lane three and so on and so on. But if you made lane six, anyone in lane six represented Australia, right? Fantastic. And so this pool was all about high performance. It was all about giving everything you had, about bleeding, about doing the process, getting up every day, doing your time, and doing it with a smile on your face because you loved it. Now, people have turned up that didn't love it to death. They put their hands on their head and go, I'm out. And they pulled the pin themselves. But the ones that stuck at it, and I stuck at it in that pool for five years, got to lane six when I represented Australia. That's like right. the other ones that did the same thing. So for me, you know, the lesson's always been pick the thing I love the most, give it 100%, do, do your time at it, and you'll achieve great things. Yeah, that's such a good a good story too because it sort of that relates to everything in life, doesn't it? And it's that keeping yeah. achieving and, and keep your goals straight and stuff. I mean, when I was at school swimming, I've got to be honest with you, Guy, I'd start in lane one and end up in lane six, but that's purely because I couldn't swim in a straight line. It wasn't because <laughs> go, I just could not keep in a straight line. But um, that's a whole other story. But, you know, that inspiration that you're showing and that's why we love talking to people like yourself, um, you know, it's, it's inspirational and we want to inspire our young people. And old people as well but just uh, these sort of stories um, of how a, a someone like yourself can can be just a, a normal everyday person and then overnight things can change and you've just gone with it mm-hmm. and you, you're going with what you believe in especially with your defibrillators and you know we, we, we're really honoured uh, to be able to talk to you and we just you know hope you keep on doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Good on you. Like, I, I, let me tell you this right that um, I, I was fortunate enough to train Lane Beach for seven times world serving champion 
trade assistant yeah, for, for many years. And, um, and the same with Kerry Potter. So I Fantastic. did the same thing with her when she won Olympic gold medal. And but you... I, I've been fortunate enough to have, have lunch with people like Carl Lewis and you name it. Like, so I'm dropping names here, but my no, point is... No, it's great. I love it. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> going I, over the Pamela I Anderson heard you one. had lunch with Grant Howe once in Manly oh, as well. Yes. I did. I did. Actually, more, more than once. What? You had that lunch yeah, with no. me yet. I'm not sure what's going on there. Favoritism, I think. Mate, COVID. COVID's COVID, COVID. COVID's COVID, killed it. COVID's I bring G up. But all these, all these people, right, are just normal people. They yeah, just do, they do, they do the extraordinary thing. That's exactly right. Through the, the, the workload and the preparation to achieve things that other people go, oh, that's impossible. I can't believe they can do that. But they're all just normal people. So, so yeah. Lane Beachley, who we know is the world surf champion seven, eight times. Um, now, now, you had a surf shop in Manly. And she used on to the beach front. on the beachfront, yep. and she used to leave her surfboard there on purpose during sure. during oh. the day during the day when yep. she was thirteen, fourteen, and she'd call mm-hmm. in every day after school and, and grab mm-hmm. a board and go for a surf. So she um she's like my little sister. Yeah, and, you took uh, her under your wing. Bit, That's yeah, amazing. A bit younger so than I didn't me. know this story. That's amazing. And um, I remember she used to come down, and since she was about two kilometres up the road. Um, you know, from a home to the beach, she, she'd ask if she could leave the board in there so she could um, just get down and ride a bike down and get the board quickly and get out the surf out the front. And um, I remember when she was 16 years of age, she'd done about three years, and she used to work on a Sunday in the shop um, for pocket money and the, and the like. And we sponsored her. We were like a first sponsor um, when she That's was sort of 16 years story. of age. And I remember watching her one day out the front of the surf shop because it was directly across the the road to the beach at Manly there and she's surfing away and she came back in and I said, you know, and at that time I was ranked number one in the world with for Ironman and, um, and and she was doing like fitness training with me as well as doing a surfing stuff. Like she was doing that on the side to, 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 to get an edge over the rest of the competitors. And um, so she's only 16 and I, I said to her, I said, you know, keep doing what you're doing and you will be the world champion. And I, I, I remember saying to her, and look, it took a bunch more years to get there. But, mate, once she won the first one, she knocked out another. That's right. She got there and she right was after. dedicated and had her goals inside and with your help, of course, you know, got there. So that's a that's a fantastic story. Oh, she was mm. she was a bloody good surfer too. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she a was a world champion, but, I mean, she oh, was a gun. Dogged. Yeah, dogged. Dogged. Gun, yeah. yeah. And, of course, she married a uh, another famous Australian, Kirk <laughs> Pengilly. So, um, yeah, mate, was I was there great. when they met. Yeah. Oh, of I was course there the night were. they met. Of course you were. I bet I... you in it. Did you introduce them? No, but we were at the um, at the opera house at the um, at New Year's Eve celebration, and I went with her just as mate, and she met Kirk there, and they they went on a date after. Oh, I feel fantastic. like my life's been like, I don't know what's happened, but why why wasn't I there for these things? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You should have been there. You should have been there. Uh, should Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Pengilly, um Oh my god! I uh, when In Excess played in Wembley Stadium, yes. uh, mm-hmm. and that concert was was filmed, and it was it was after the X album, and at that stage they were the biggest band in the world, and yeah, just absolutely. good Sydney boys too, weren't they? Oh, originally WA, I think the Farris brothers were from WA. <coughs> uh, well, M- Michael Hutchings grew up a couple of streets away from me, so he went to they went to Francis Forest High School, oh. and um, they met they met there like just up from the. And sort of dy up the hill there, yeah. a couple of k, and um, but Michael, well, yeah, here we go again. But Michael lived just not far from me, where where I I grew up, and uh, 
he was always a skinny sort of um, like nerdy kid at the time that uh, you, you didn't really think much about. But um, yeah, Jeezy turned into a, a front. Oh, like mate. a front did rock star. Yeah, oh, yeah like he, he, he owned it, didn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah, he did. He was, so I, yeah, I knew he was him a from a young age. Time, he really. was a good-looking boy he too. Yeah. 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 He grew into being good. He wasn't a good-looking boy no, when he was younger. he was pimply-faced pimply and scrawny, but he, he... He was the last one you look at, but he grew yeah. into... He grew, it, it's, it's about aura and about... Yeah. Yes, about it just, is, isn't you it? Know, owning, owning what you do, and he, yeah. he, he, lo- he did, he loved, and... Uh, I'd like Jim Morrison, and, oh, he, and a lot yeah. of what he did on stage was based on it. It was almost it, a replica yeah. of Jim Morrison. I'm a big Jim Morrison fan. And mm. It was almost uh, like Jim, watching Jim up on stage. So uh, he really sort of took over where Jim left yeah, off, I a, believe. Sad, um, sad, sad end to be with his life. It was uh, a yeah, yeah, tragedy. No, Jim, we've no, mentioned some famous people tonight. It's uh, it's quite interesting, isn't it? You, mm. know, you know just about yeah. everybody, Guy. Like, it's incredible. Well, no, I don't. I've only known the ones I know. Yeah, <laughs> there's still a few more yet to meet. So I've got a few. I've got a few. We'll have to go and meet them. Um, uh, when I'm up in Sydney, mate, uh, she's on. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And um, please, please give my uh, regards to to Helen and the girls. And uh, I will. Yeah, and I'll probably chat to you a bit later in the week, anyway. But guy, it has been absolutely unbelievable. I thank you so much for your time. Good on you, guys. Yeah. Guys and girls. Guys, guys and, and girls. Guys and girls. Yeah, guys and girls. Guys and girls. I'm a little bit starstruck still. I'm a big fan of yours, guys. So it's been wonderful to catch up with you and, and hear some of your stories and, and I guess to find out, you know, what you've been doing and, and how incredible that you've been going as yeah, well. Yeah, good so, on you. Will you come back on again sometime? Look, it's the um, it, podcast have become the thing of the uh, the times, haven't they, with COVID? It's they, um, they everyone's have. getting used to it. It's good. Good. It's been good. Yeah. yeah, mate. Well, we'll, we'll one, of the, one of the good things from COVID. We're, we're going to go. We're going to take this uh, take this a long way. We think so. Yeah, we're uh, going all around the world. Yeah, look at after this po- after this yeah. podcast, mate. We're expecting this to go viral. So, I can say I was on the second episode. We love it. We're going yeah. viral because only because because uh, because of you, my friend. Um, I'll give you a call later, uh, guy. We'll get you to come back on sometime, and uh, keep, happy to do it. Keep fighting the good fight, mate, for defibs. Good on, and, you, good uh, on you, gang. Yeah. We no thanks, guy. We'll talk to you again. Thank you so much. Done, and uh, I say good night. All right, you can, you can say good night, and we we can hang up, and we'll uh, we'll see you again. Adios. Cheers, Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Well, there you go. That was incredible, wasn't it? What an incredible interview and an incredible person to talk to. And wow, the famous people. Yeah. Pamela Anderson, let's be honest. Yeah. I'm still stuck on that. Look, you know, um, Leach, he's a, he's a great cat. And uh, look, I've known him for four or five years now and uh, I can't speak highly enough of him. Um, but he's he's always willing to share his uh, knowledge and share his stories. He's yeah, never he's short of a word. isn't he? And- but what he's doing with Heart 180 is... Really, really good, and I do. I honestly he's believe saving that. lives. He's saving lives. Well, he is saving lives, and that's what he's all about. And when you get a passion like that, when you've lost someone that you've obviously loved, a best mate like that, and you, you know, you, you just, you got to make purpose of that. You've got to make it worthwhile, and that's what he's doing. And well, the thing is, is that you know he's uh, he's got a goal to uh, to do a million defibs, and if he attacks that or continues to attack it with the same vigor that he does, or he did with his Iron Man career. Um, I have absolutely no doubt that uh, he'll achieve his goal and yeah, go beyond. Will. So we thank Guy and we will get him back again. And, gee, you know, I guess the message I got out of all that and, and as Guy 
alluded to and said a couple of times that you've got to live it and you've got to want to do it and you've got to have the passion and you've got to give it at all. So if you're really passionate about something, you know, you can Just you can it. succeed. Yeah, you can succeed. My word, you can. Fantastic. Well, we've come to the, the end of episode Episode two. two. We've made it through two episodes and it's very exciting. Unbelievable. So I'm excited for episode three already. So, so please, people. Please, if you, you'll find us on Apple, you'll find us on Spotify. You probably know that because you've already found us if you're looking looking uh, for us. But please subscribe. Hit the subscribe button on uh, Apple and give us a five-star rating. We're going to continue to bring these podcasts to you. This is something that G and I are both very passionate about and this is a little bit of fun for us. Yeah, it's a little bit of fun. A lot of fun, actually, and, and we are passionate about it because it's so great to talk to people and find out what drives them. Look, two weeks in. You're going to say something funny, aren't you? No, no, I'm not. No more stories about earwax. Okay. Two, oh, two, yeah. two weeks in and we've had two quality guests. We've had yeah, we have. Dr. Isaac Poole. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing uh, boy from small town, Boat Harbour Beach, Boat Harbour Primary School, you know, maybe 20 kids if you're lucky, I don't know, to go all the way to Oxford and to be, you know, one of the country's leading economists and, and chief investment officers. Um, then next week we've had Guy Leach. And so we're looking forward to bringing some really yeah, some cool more good people ones to coming you. coming up, so I'm very excited. Some really good ones coming up. So... I would say to you, good people, that um, thank you very much and uh, keep listening, keep subscribing and, yeah, from us, it's... It's uh, talk to you soon, very soon. Very, Can't yeah. wait. We'll see you again. You know, I didn't tell you how beautiful you were um, this oh, episode, did I? No, you, you actually didn't and I was waiting for it. Okay. But I thought because Guy was here and, you know, maybe you'd just forgotten. But oh. thank you, I'm going to take that Okay, a, well, anyway, a you're Thanks. looking as beautiful as, uh, as always. Thank you so much. Good night, G. Good night.